several things going on around here, but first of all, uh, if you are visiting with us or if you have any prayer requests, we encourage you to fill out this piece of card stock in your bulletin, and we will follow up with you accordingly. Um, also, if you're Zooming in, you can reach us through our website and our online portal, and you can submit prayer requests that way as well. So we, we truly, genuinely encourage that. If you have anything going on in your life that you would like prayer for, please communicate that with us, and we will do our part. Uh, if you are Zooming in, uh, you finally received this morning, just a few minutes ago, the uh, children's ministry uh, lesson plan, as well as uh, our outline for today's message. So I encourage you to follow along uh, with that. Our kids are uh, moving through content that is uh, going with our sermon series, and it's pretty good stuff. So encourage you to get that, you know, print that out, go through it with your kids, have a little conversation. It all ties in, which is good. Um, you also have a little blank piece of paper in your bulletin. Uh, that is a Hope Church Easter tradition that you are invited to participate in if you so choose. Um, this is totally anonymous, so you don't need to write your name on the card. Uh, but anything that you would like to leave at the foot of the cross today while you are here celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ, uh, just put it on this piece of paper, lay it in one of the baskets when you come up later to receive communion. And uh, we will take that and I will burn it later today or maybe tomorrow at some point. Um, but uh, that would, um, so anything you just need to, you know, kind of give to God, it could be a praise, it could be a prayer, it could be anything. Um, but we always do that at Easter. And so you are encouraged to fill out that piece of paper according to whatever's going on in your heart. And then we will take care of it later. Uh, they don't get read. They don't get passed around. We don't compare them, you know, to see who has the, the worst problems or anything like that. Uh, we, just, we just put them in a basket, and then I'll take them home and set them on fire in a controlled way. But I uh, um, encourage you to do that if you are so inclined. Uh, we do have our Tuesday night Zoom Bible study at 7 o'clock. And that is following along with the content through our series uh, in the book of Isaiah that we're currently studying. So I encourage you to zoom in for that on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Uh, we also have youth group. And the, that is currently meeting um, about once a month for a fun night. And then we're doing a workshop. Well, that's really kind of been compartmentalized. So each of our youth has an adult mentor in the church right now, and they're studying through some scriptures in preparation for this summer's youth ser sermon series. And so that's all happening. If, you have, if, if you're a youth and you don't, and that's not happening and you want it to happen, let us know and we will get you uh, set up with that. Um, otherwise, look for the fun nights because they're pretty good. Izzy? How was the live Mario Kart racing? It was good. Okay. Yeah. So did you, did you, how many like raspberries did you come home with? You had a couple? Zoe got some. All right. That's right. Zoe was going for it. So we have these like little furniture dollies that they're square rectangular with wheels on the bottom. So we set the kids on them and then had them push 
their friend around the figure eight so that there was a figure eight so that they have to like cross paths and smack into each other because we're that kind of church and uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, we, we did, they did wear helmets. It was totally safe except we were throwing water balloons and banana peels and what else were we throwing? And whipped cream, yes. And a whole banana might have been thrown during the course of the go-kart races. It was thrown, all right. So, just an example of youth group fun nights. Uh, let's see. We have a men's night coming up on the 22nd. Is that this Friday? All right, Friday night right here. Uh, we will feed you. There will be food and fire and fellowship, a little bit of Bible study and discussion. So the way this works, the food is we, we, we aim to serve it around 7-ish. Usually that happens within a few minutes of 7 o'clock. Uh, you can get here as early at, as 5 and just hang out and help or just not or whatever. Uh, but then food's at 7 and then we have some discussion time after that that is based off of a, a scripture, one or another, and uh, encourage you to be here for that. Again, we'll feed you. There's fire. Might be some cigars from our sister church in Cuba available. I don't know. Just I'm not trying to tempt you to be here. I am. I really am. <laughs> okay. Um, so that's coming up this Friday, and then a week from today, we have a congregation congregational how old are you a nine-year-old just corrected my speech thank you i appreciate that she she did yes the same the same night well she needed help so how old are you so 11 and nine that's so i got beat by a 20 year old all right in the chili cook-off if you didn't catch that so then there's Wesley. We don't talk about him anymore. He's dead to me. <coughs> he came in first in our chili cook-off, which I'm not bitter. I'm happy for him. Um, but congregational meeting a week from today for the purpose of election, electing officers. So that's coming up. You just stick around after church. We'll take care of that, knock it out fairly quickly. Um, and then we, we are starting a Discover Hope in May. Discover Hope is a three-week small group that just goes over the content that you need in order to decide if you want to join and be a member of Hope Church. So um, there you go. That's coming up. And then Blueprint, our summer youth missions trip to downtown San Antonio through a ministry called Blueprint Ministries. And they, we, along with Blueprint, we go down, we live in a dorm downtown, and we fix up houses for people in our city who are living at one and a half times the national poverty level or less. We spend a week doing that. The kids uh, get up every morning, do some chores, have breakfast, and then we hit the job sites and we knock out uh, things like roofs and we, we do a little bit of demo. If a, there's like an interior wall that's rotten, we get to tear that out. That's always fun and nasty. Um, and then we'll put up drywall. We do all kinds of things. What else do we do? Flooring. We do flooring, painting, caulking, various sundry fixer-upper stuff. But it's a, great, it's a great thing to be a part of. That's coming up this summer. Dates are in your bulletin. I encourage you to 
participate there if you can. How are we coming on sign-ups, Lois? All right, so we're, we need you to actually go to our website, click on the blueprint, sign up, pay your deposit, and then we'll know who's coming. So please get on that, get that done, and we will go from there. All right. Let's just have all the important people in the room come down to the front. If you are in fifth grade or younger, come on down for our children's chat before you go to Hope for Kids. Come on, Esther. <laughs> well, how are y'all doing today? Are we a little bit excited? So I've got like 10, 11 of you, and I think we've got about 300 Easter eggs out there. So maybe 200, I don't know, but there's only 11 of you, so we've got baskets. You might need two. Some of you brought your own baskets. That's some premeditated egg collectors right there. All right. So do you have any idea what Easter is all about? Jesus, you're right. You were going to say Jesus? That's always the right answer at the children's chat. Watch this. What's this? What? Jesus, that's right. It's the children's chat. The answer is always the same. Who made the paper? Jesus, thank you. Who made the trees? Seeds, who made the seeds? We can keep going. We can just keep going. We're going to get there eventually. Jesus, yes. So, so who was Jesus? Did he have a job? He did. Oh, that, yeah, there's, that's true. Well, his first job, you know what his first job was? He was a carpenter. Yeah. He built things out of wood, right? Okay. And then he became our Savior, our Messiah, the Anointed One. So the whole time from Adam and Eve until Jesus, God had been trying to tell his people, I'm going to send you a Savior. He's going to forgive you. He's going to bring you into my family forever. And he's going to show you how much I love you. And that that we call that portion of the Bible the Old Testament, right? And I want you to listen to this little verse in the Old Testament. And I want you to see if you hear any. So this is written hundreds of years before Jesus was born, all right? But listen to this. He was pierced for our transgressions. Anybody know what a transgression is? 
a sin, a bad thing that we do, right? He was pierced for our trans- transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement or the punishment that brought us peace. By his wounds, we are healed. So what does that sound like to you? Was Jesus wounded? Yes. Yes. And did he die? Yes. Did his death bring us peace? Okay, so these words were written hundreds of years before Jesus was born, and they were fulfilled by Jesus. Like, it's like he knew what he was doing, right? He came for a reason. He came so that you and I and all of us could have forgiveness, so that we could have eternal life with God. He is the reason we celebrate Easter, because you're right, he did suffer he did die. He was laid in a grave, right? He was buried in the ground. And then what happened when the women showed up to that grave on Sunday morning? What did they find? They found Jesus alive. The grave was empty. And so God has given us victory over death and sin, and we can live with him forever because of what Jesus did for us. Can I pray with you guys? All right. Father God, thank you for this day that we celebrate the resurrection of your son, that he proved once and for all that we have hope that lasts forever, that your love and your forgiveness redefine who we are and how we live. Thank you, Father, for that grace. I pray as these children study more of your word and hope for kids today, that you will fill them with your Holy Spirit and lead them into a deeper understanding of your love for them through Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Y'all have a great time in Hope for Kids, and I will see you at the Easter egg hunt. Full contact. We have medics on staff. Yeah. Do y'all do like a medical TDY? Like a... No? No, just shoot them and leave them? Okay. All right going to say we can give you some practice at the easter egg hunt because it's full contact here just at the healing part not the yeah the medic part yeah never so never mind don't (laughs) let me pray how about that all right father god we uh, thank you for the gift of your church we thank you for the gift of your word we thank you for the ways in which you are still alive and speaking to us through your holy word. Father, we pray that as we open your word this morning, that you would open our hearts, that you would speak to us, that you would bring to our minds and our hearts those things which we need to confess to you, those things which we need to commit to in our lives, and those things which uh, we simply need to leave at the foot of your cross. And Father, as we do that, we uh, lay the burdens of our hearts at the foot of your cross that we might be more free to encounter you here through your word. We give you the relationships in our lives that are strained, and we pray for peace and reconciliation where it is needed. We lift before you those whom we know and love who are sick or recovering from medical procedures or facing uh, uncertain diagnoses. 
Uh, we pray especially for uh, our brother Dean Johnson this morning, and we just pray you would pour out your healing mercies upon him. We thank you for the healing that you have worked out in the lives of Jack Fliss and Dean Morris and Joshua Johnson and many others, uh, that they are um, doing well and recovering well. And we just pray your continued healing and blessing upon them and all those whom we know and love who are in need of your healing at this time. Lord, we lift up our country, our leaders at every level of government elected and appointed, and we pray for your wisdom and discernment in the decisions that are before them. We lift up our men and women in uniform. We pray you would watch over and protect them. Lord, we pray especially for those who are in harm's way. We ask that you would bring them home safely. We lift up those military families that are separated from each other right now due to their uh, time of service. We just pray that you would be close to the hearts of the families at home and those who are far away uh, during this time. And Lord, we lift up those members of our military who have returned home changed as a result of their service. We pray that you would pour out your healing upon them, mind, body, and soul, and that we would be a, a part of that healing journey for them. Lord, use us to uh, shine your light uh, here at Hope and around the world. We pray for all the churches that we are connected to through our denomination and through our missions giving. Uh, we lift up Paul and Elizabeth Branch in Guatemala and John and Diane Davis in Laredo, Texas, Pastor Miguel and Tatiana in Kamahuani, Cuba, and Pastor Patchy and his wife Marilyn in Havana, Cuba. We lift up um, Robbie and Joyce Hamd who continue to serve in Beirut, Lebanon, and we lift up uh, Monica and Benjamin Bailey serving in the Middle East, and we just pray your blessing over all those works, and we lift up the church plants in our denomination in Texas and Katy in New Braunfels and in Austin, and we just pray your blessing over those works as well. And Father, we again ask that you would be with us now through your Holy Spirit. Lead us into your word and beyond that into the application of your word to our everyday lives. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we've been in a series of messages uh, through the book of Isaiah the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, leading up to uh, today. And there's a reason that we're in the chapter that we're in today. We're going to be looking at the 53rd chapter of the book of Isaiah. And I want to just give you a little bit of history and background as to like the significance of what we are about to read. We're, in a few minutes, we will read uh, the entire chapter 53 of the book of Isaiah um, it's, it's only about like 12 verses, don't panic. Um, and, uh, but before we do that, I just want to sort of frame the history and, and hopefully our understanding of what, what we're reading today. So this particular passage, there, there have been many, as we've seen as we've journeyed through the book of Isaiah thus far, many different places where Isaiah speaks of the coming Messiah, where he, he prophesies about a future king who will bring peace to Israel. And you've, you've read some of the famous prophecies in the book of Isaiah that um, he will be born to, a, that a virgin will be with child, that that child's name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. Uh, he talks in chapter 11 about this, this stump 
that, of this tree that got cut down. It's a symbol of Jerusalem when Babylon conquered Jerusalem and, and literally tore the city down to its foundations. And he talks, Isaiah talks about in chapter 11 that that dead stump, out of it a sprout will come. A green shoot will come forth and bear fruit that will bring hope to all nations. And we have seen these prophecies again and again throughout the book. But this chapter is so overtly messianic that for many, many centuries, uh, from about the, the, six, the 17th and 18th centuries until uh, the mid-1950s, scholars who were, uh, who were sort of skeptical of Christianity used to think that this passage we're about to read was not written by Isaiah. And, and they began to theorize, no, it was written more recently than that. And then the next guy would say, no, it was written more recently than that guy thought it was. And then the next guy would be like, no, it was written, written more recently than that guy thought it was. And their theories got them down to about the first century B.C. And then there were even a couple of, of German theologians who postulated at one point well, maybe this wasn't written until after Jesus, because it sounds so much like Jesus, it couldn't possibly have been written before he was born, before he died, before this idea of a, of a human providing atonement for other humans was a, was a real idea. And those ideas didn't go very far, because the big question there is, how do you get a Messiah that looks exactly like Jesus inserted into a Jewish text, right? It's not a very plausible theory. But my point is, no one could believe that these words were as ancient as they were. Until, uh, so there were, there were two Bedouin shepherds, they, they, weren't, they were really goat herds, they had a herd of goats in th right here. I'm not sure why, they probably should have kept going. Um, but <coughs> they were, um, so Bedouins are, like, if there were Bedouins in San Antonio, you would never find a parking place in the shade at HEB, because they were champions, the world's greatest champions at chasing shade around mountains and other terrain. These, this uh, entire nomadic people group, they still exist, believe it or not, um, and this kid was about 15 years old, and he was chasing shade with goats, and one of his goats scrambled up a hillside, and he went up after him. And so it's this guy on the right who's kind of hunched over a little bit. His name is Muhammad. His last name is however you say wolf in Bedouin Arabic. I don't really, I can't pronounce it. It's a bizarre name. But he was about six or seven years younger than he is in this picture when he found this hole. And Bedouins have this... Uh, mythology that they live with, that, that there are these, these bad spirits called uh, jinns, J-I-N-N, not J-E-N-N, just in case uh, anyone's listening. But th these, these jinns live in caves, and they will haunt you, and the way to keep them in the cave is you throw rocks in the cave, and it keeps them back, right? It sounds crazy, but they've been doing this for thousands of years. So this kid chucks a rock into one of those holes that you see there, and he hears a, a clay jar break. He's like, huh, 
that's weird. It kind of freaks him out because he's scared of the spirits. He runs back. He tells his two goat herd buddies, like, hey, there was something in that cave. They go back, I don't know, the next day, whenever. And he pulls out these clay jars that have these rolled up scrolls inside. Some of them are made of papyrus and some of them are made of animal skin. And so I just want you to think about this for a second. The Biblically speaking, the greatest archaeological discovery of the 20th century for the first, I don't know, two or three months after it was discovered was hanging on a pole inside a Bedouin tent near the Dead Sea because the kid thought it was cool, right? And so, he, so let me take you to the next slide. So this is what is now called the Great Isaiah Scroll. And authors had theorized that Isaiah was this, this crazy amalgamation of different pieces of poetry that were all kind of strung together. And then this is discovered by the kid on the previous slide when he was about 15 years old, hangs in his tent for a few months, and then one of his cousins takes it to an antiquities dealer in Jerusalem and sells it, sells a collection of about seven or eight scrolls, maybe three, I don't remember how many the first sale was, for the modern-day equivalent of about 250 bucks. So what he had discovered was a, an entire scroll of the Old Testament book of Isaiah that is over 2,000 years old. And it's clearly a copy. You can't see it at this level, but there's places that I'll zoom in. This is the passage we're going to read today. This is a zoom in of the passage. That's the beginning of chapter 53 up in the uh, upper left-hand corner. Um, and this kid had discovered a 2,000-year-old document that took all these theories about how Isaiah was not a singular work and all this and just threw them out the window in a day. And what we are left with is not just the miracle. So this scroll in its entirety, the, whole, the one you saw on the previous slide, there's an entire museum in Jerusalem that is dedicated to the display of that scroll. It's called the Museum of the Scroll. Like, hello. Um, and uh, it, it is, this is the oldest intact book of the Bible that we have period. And that kid found it. And the funny thing is, he was not even literate. He didn't know how to read. He just thought it was cool. And so all these scholars for all these centuries that had doubted the integrity of the book of Isaiah are just cut off at the knees by this illiterate kid finding this scroll in that cave and bringing it to the attention of what eventually uh, it came to the University of Jerusalem or Tel Aviv. I don't remember the name of the university, but then they've, anyways, it's now preserved. For a long time, they kept it in this, like, airlocked vault. And so you can go online and see a video of the guy showing you this scroll in this, and they walk through this series of vaults to get into this particular <laughs> room to show the scroll or you could hang it in a Bedouin tent for a few months, you know, whatever. So 
this is what we are going to read today. And I want you to just think about the fact that this was written hundreds of years before Jesus came, before he was born, before he went to the cross, before anyone had any real understanding of what a Messiah would do or could do. So read along with me, if you will, beginning in verse 1 of Isaiah chapter 53. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, Make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. 
going to read a quick excerpt out of Matthew's Easter account in the 27th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. And this is after Jesus has died. The Roman soldier has punctured his chest cavity to make sure he's dead. And then he's taken down from the cross, and the story picks up here. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. The passage goes on to say that Joseph rolled a large stone across the entrance to the tomb. I think you know the rest of the story, that that stone was rolled away by some force that was not human, and that out of that grave walked the living, eternal Son of God, victorious over sin and over death. The challenge of Easter, the resurrection, for me at least, is not just to believe it, not just to believe that it happened, but to believe it for myself, say, I don't know, on a Tuesday or a Thursday, or, I don't know, what's your worst day? Monday? Like, that truth, that gift, that sacrifice, that literally changes everything, and I will just chuck it out the window so that I can be angry about something. Or just do what I want. And our challenge with Easter is to believe. Not just in the fact that it happened. But to believe that power, that grace, that love, that forgiveness, it applies to every day of my life. That I can wake up on any day and be joyous. That I can find something other than myself to draw strength from each and every day. So let's look at the two parts of this passage in terms of belief. And, and we're going to try to look at that not, not on the, like, the one-time belief that it happened, but on that recurring upwelling of belief that bleeds into our everyday lives. There are two portions in this text as I, as I want to sort of look at it today. There's the portion that talks about this suffering servant going to his death to bring us peace. He winds up in verse 9 in the grave. 
in the grave of a wealthy man. Did you notice that? Um, and one of the interesting things, we talked about this this morning at the sunrise service, about that tomb that Jesus was laid in, was it had never been used before. It had never been defiled by another human body. And so even in his death, he was undefiled. He was pure. He was holy. And so here we have this, this image of the servant that Isaiah has been developing for several chapters now that involves this servant coming to the point of suffering and dying for the sake of our forgiveness. So let's talk about what it means to believe in the sacrifice of the Messiah. So in those first four verses, I want you to notice something. It says, I'm just going to jump to verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. We esteemed him not. So Isaiah has established that this servant who is going to suffer and die is acquainted with sorrow and grief. I cannot emphasize how important this is. It, none of us make it through life without experiencing sorrow and grief. That's, these are realities of the human experience. And so these are also realities that are irrelevant to where you think you are spiritually. You might think that you got it all together you're still going to have sorrow, and you're still going to have grief. You might think you're a broken mess. You're still going to have sorrow, and you're still going to have grief. This Messiah can relate to all of us at our most common denominated component of humanity. And so, here we are called to find acceptance in his rejection. In a Messiah that can relate to anyone and who can heal anything. This text takes us from this oh-so-human place of sorrow and grief and the need for healing and then it rolls us into this other aspect of our humanity that is in need of a Savior. So, as we find acceptance in his rejection, so also we are to find life in his death. That is, that... What I am mostly alive to in and of myself is my sin, my appetite, my whatever you want to call it, selfishness. And in that, there is only death 
If I'm only worried about me in this world, I will have no friends, I will have no family, I will, have, I will be of no worth to anyone else. And this is going to lead me, leave me alone, and, well, that's not a good place to live. That's a living death. Jesus who is rejected by humanity actually trades for our sin his righteousness and takes us so Isaiah uses this metaphor in verses 6 and 7 of a lamb being led to the slaughter now if you were a, a Jewish man you would have known exactly what this looked like at some point in your life, you were obligated to go to the temple in Jerusalem with a lamb that would be sacrificed there on behalf of your family and your sins. And you would have to lay your hands on the head of this lamb and sort of pray your sins and your family's sins, the people you represent, onto this animal as the priest then slaughtered it. So you knew that when the sin was imposed upon the animal, it would then be killed. There was blood. There was, it was messy. Um, this happened every single day at the temple. And then that, that lamb would be uh, cleaned and butchered, and part of it would be put on the altar, and its smoke would go up to God. That was his portion of the offering, so to speak. And then the priests would get a cut, and then you would get a piece to take home and eat with your family. And that's the way it worked. That was the system. Isaiah is saying, are you listening? A, a man, a human being who can relate to every part of your life that is difficult is coming who will be that lamb for you. The lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Isaiah somehow, from six centuries before it occurs, is able to see this. I still marvel at these words, at the fact that an Old Testament prophet whose world was collapsing around him is able to see past the calamity into a future hope that God will send a Messiah who will be the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. This Lamb is the one upon whom we are to place our sin. This idea that, that one entity can take the sin of another. It's an idea that God has been preparing his people for for millennia. And then comes Jesus and fulfills the plan. We'll get to that in a moment. But we're to place our sin upon the Lamb, and we're to replace our sin with his innocence. Did you see that portion that he will make many righteous I don't know about you, but I don't deserve that kind of gift. I, I didn't 
behave myself well before I came to Christ, nor have I necessarily behaved myself all that well since I came to Christ, but that's not important right now. Um, this is one in whom there was no deceit in his mouth. He had done no violence. And so this innocent one goes to the cross to take our sin and to give us his innocence, his righteousness, his good standing with God the Father. It's a gift. It's an it's a unfair trade. For him, it looks like a bad deal. We are to believe in that sacrifice, not just once, but again and again and again. I think, I think you get it. Like, I need to be reminded of this daily. Without it, I can get kind of out of control. And God somehow brings it back to this simple thing. Like, son, I died for you. You're forgiven. You're loved. Um, you can't undo what I've done. So look up and get over yourself and try to show what I've shown to you to the people around you. And so the first nine verses of this chapter are focused on our call to believe and re-believe in this Messiah in his sacrifice. The last three verses, 10, 11, and 12, turn a fascinating corner as they call us to believe in the resurrection of this Messiah. Did you notice that? That he went from the grave in verse 9 to he shall see his offspring in verse 10. He shall prolong his days the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see and be satisfied. Verse 11 um, goes back to the fact that the righteous one made many righteous. and He shall bear their iniquities. And then in verse 12, he shall divide the spoil. Um, and then at the very end, he makes, in the present tense, he makes intercession for the transgressors. That's us. He's still alive. He's still there. He's still interceding on our behalf. So to believe in this resurrection, we are called to see the purpose in God's will. That verse 10 starts and ends with this will of the Lord. It was God's will that Jesus would suffer and die that his soul would make an offering for guilt. He, he died to take away our guilt. That was a purpose behind his death. He went to that cross for a reason. He went to that cross with your name before him. And this is one of the astonishing truths of Christianity, that if, if you were literally the only person on this planet 
he would have done the same thing. He would have gone that far to see you forgiven and redeemed and restored and given hope and life eternal. That, my friends, is love. And so this purpose that drove Jesus to the cross to take away our guilt was also reflected in his raising, being raised from the grave. He, he died to take away our guilt. He rose to bring us into God's family. This idea in verse 10 that we are his offspring. We are part of a family, an eternal family that cannot be um, disrupted. You are safe. You are secure. You are in God's hands as one for whom Christ died. And so we believe in the resurrection of the Messiah. We see the purpose of God's will and we see the hope in God's plan. This, I, I want to be careful how I say this. I, I want to say this, this story, but it's more than a story, right? This isn't a fairy tale. This is actual history where God becomes human and lives a fully human life and relates to every part of this experience that we have especially those parts that are terrible. And he does so in innocence, without guilt, without violence, without selfishness. And then with incredible purpose, he goes to the cross to atone. And then he comes out of the grave. And I, I just, like... How did Isaiah see this? I still don't know. That this Messiah could atone for the sins of all of God's people and then be put into a rich man's grave and then still be alive. How in the world did somebody see that six centuries before it happened? And yet, here it is. And here he still is. Alive, moving, caring, loving, reminding us in, in the truth of this history that the grave is not the end. I, I did a funeral service on Monday out at Fort Sam Houston, and that place always gets me. Just the the beauty of it, the serenity of it, the it's it's just the you know, all of those white tombstones lined up in military order and just the wow. We are blessed that so many have gone before us to establish the freedoms we enjoy. But the real purpose of a funeral, while it is to honor 
that life and that service is to look beyond that grave, to know there is something that transcends this present reality that is greater than our human limitations and that is purely and completely defined by love. That it is love itself that transcends the grave. That God has given us this promise in His Son that the end of this life is not the end. And that no matter what, He is still on our side. And I simply love how Isaiah concludes this passage. He makes intercession for the transgressors. Why? The only reasonable answer to that question is love. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we thank you for a love that extended beyond the grave, that brought us peace through the suffering of your Son, and that brought him back from the dead as a sign that the grave is not the end that your love wins, that your plan will be fulfilled. Father, help us to re-believe the power, the truth, the glory of the Messiah each and every day, to look up wherever we are and to know that we are forgiven and that we have hope eternal. Lord, help us to live out of the strength of that truth, that we can show those around us that grace, that forgiveness, that love that you have shown to us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Lead us into your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.